What do you mean you can't speak? You put that down and talked to me, Zachariah. You went to the temple to burn incense, and now you can't speak. Because you doubted. <laughs> what does that even mean? You doubted what an angel told you. Oh, now it's all making sense. <laughs> Are you feeling all right? Huh? Maybe you should sit down. Oh, I should sit down. <laughs> Listen, whatever game you're playing, I really wanted to stop, Zachariah. It isn't funny. This isn't funny, Zachariah. <sighs> An angel told you this. The angel said that our prayers have been heard. That you, my love, will bear a son. <laughs> that we will be filled with joy and gladness. And that many will rejoice at his birth. Like Elijah, he will prepare our people for the Lord. <laughs> what am I going to do? Oh, I'm too old to be a mother. And you, you can't even speak. can't even speak until he's bored. <laughs> oh, that might not be the worst thing. <sighs> I can't wait to tell my cousin Mary. Call him Zachariah, yes? Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Continuing where we left off from last week. Zechariah, your prayer is heard. There was a little boy who had taken a uh, test 
and uh, he had prepared for his test, or at least so he thought, and uh, that night he was kneeling at his bedside, and his dad heard him praying, and he kept saying, Tokyo, 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 just over and over again, Tokyo, Lord, Tokyo, Lord, please, Tokyo. And uh, the dad just like, what in the world? So the next day, as uh, they're sitting down at breakfast, dad said, son, I heard you praying last night, and uh, I heard you kept saying, Tokyo, 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 over and over again. Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. Why, why in the world have you been praying that? And he said, well, I put a wrong answer on my geography test yesterday, so I'm praying that God will please change the capital of Mexico to Tokyo. Now, his prayer, obviously, that's not, going to, that's not going to fly, and he was praying amiss, but nonetheless, he's praying, you know, and he's asking God to step in and do something. John Maxwell tells the story in his book, Partners in Prayer. It says, in the summer of 1876, uh, grasshoppers basically destroyed all the crops across the state of Minnesota. Uh, so in the spring of 1877, the farmers were really worried that obviously the grasshoppers would come back and take that wheat crop and basically destroy it all again and uh, visit them and just destroy the entire thing and bringing uh, uh, hurt and heartache, obviously, to thousands of people across the state. And the situation was um, so serious that the governor, uh, John Pillsbury, he decided to have and designate a day of fasting and prayer. So he proclaimed April 26th of 1877 as a day of prayer and fasting, and he urged every man, every woman, every child to uh, take that day fast, pray. All the shops were closed down, all the stores, all the schools, offices, everything was closed down, and there was a, a quiet, reverent hush over the entire state. Well, the next day, as in any other normal day, the sun came up. It was a beautiful day, bright and clear. And the temperatures uh, during that time, of course, Minnesota, when you're talking Mar uh, January, February, March, April, can't be the warmest in the world, but the temperatures that day happened to skyrocket. Just, uh, just like a midsummer day, the temperature skyrocketed. And for the second day, it did the same things, and the people were devastated. They were wondering what's going on here, and they discovered that billions of these grasshopper larvae began wiggling to life and, and coming the, to fruition. And, and for three days, this unusual heat persisted, and all of the larvae that they saw around there had totally hatched. And of course, fear uh, gripped the people across the area, and it appeared that wouldn't be long before they started feeding on the crop for that particular year. What they didn't see coming was this. On the fourth day, the temperature tanked. It dropped dramatically, and that night of frost covered the entire state of Minnesota, and as a result, every one of those larvae that were coming forth to form as grasshoppers, guess what happened to them? Dead, gone. And they had prayed and asked God to do something, and it wasn't exactly the way they saw it coming, but nonetheless, he did exactly what they had asked. And as we see the story of Zacharias here, we see he's kind of in the same predicament. This is why God says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And as we look at this story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist, it's pretty evident that God's ways are higher. Amen? 
so higher, way out of what we would imagine would be what normally should took place. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses, we're going to look at 7, excuse me, 11 through 25, but we're just going to read verses 11 through 17 this morning to start off with. So if you would please stand with me out of respect to God's word in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse number 11. Uh, you remember in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 that uh, uh, Zacharias was in the temple doing his duties, doing those things that he was supposed to do. Uh, and, and find in verse number 11 that the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Lord, we ask your blessing on your word today as it's read, as it's taught and preached. God, convict us, shape us, mold us. Bless this time in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Today I want to share with you five actions that took place in this entire episode that we see, and, and we'll go beyond that here in a few moments, but I want you to see five actions that took place. They'll be easy to remember because they all start with the letter R. All right, but first I want us to see in the, in the verses that we just saw, or we just read, verses 11 through 17, the revelation of Gabriel. The revelation of Gabriel. Now, this wasn't some uh, a bad dream that Zacharias was having. In fact, this, this was the real deal. In fact, if you'll notice, it says here in the passage that we read earlier that he saw this angel, and this angel was standing at the right side of the altar of incense. He, the angel didn't show up. He was standing. And he wasn't just standing. He was standing at an altar. What altar? The altar of incense. Where at the altar of incense? It's on the right side. Luke is sure here, uh, being the doctor that he is and being uh, filled with specifics, as he always does throughout his, his writings, Luke makes it quite clear. This wasn't a bad dream. This wasn't uh, some kind of, of uh, uh, something that he was having, some, some uh, foggy little remembrance or whatever. This was a real appearance, a real a revelation of the angel Gabriel, which we find later in this passage. And it says here that in this revelation that Zacharias was troubled and fear fell upon him. The word troubled there, the Greek word is terasso, and it means to be shaken. It means to be terrified. I mean, think about it, folks. If an angel, Gabriel or any other angel, decided to show up right in front of this communion table, right in front of this nativity right now, I think we would be pretty surprised, yes? And that's, that's the understatement of the day right there. It would probably scare us close to death, you know, because we're talking, whenever we see an angel come from God, when he sees the angel come from God, remember, we're talking, we're in the presence of holiness. Not that God is there, not that Jesus is there, uh, the Holy Spirit is there, but nonetheless, the angel of God, the one who spends time with God, the one who's with God constantly, that holiness is there. And right away, when we see God's holiness, what do we also see? Our own sinfulness. And as Isaiah said, woe is me. 
Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, you see. So this first action that we see here is that there is a revelation. As this angel shows up, he sees the divinity that's there that's come down from heaven. And it's, it's great here that the angel right away says what? Don't be afraid. He knew her first reaction of Zacharias would be fear. But he says, don't be afraid. Your petition is heard. What petition? Well, he's at the altar of incense. Was he praying for the nation of Israel? Possible. Was he praying for the forgiveness of sins of the nation of Israel? Possible. He's at the altar of incense, and we learned last week that that incense is burned all the time, and that incense goes up to God. It goes up to the heavens, and God breathes in that incense, and it's a sweet smell, a sweet savor to God as the prayers of the people. Was he just, was he just doing it, or was it actually the prayer for a son? I believe so. Because God is specific about the answer to the prayer. But he says, your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a son. Sounds like some other event's coming up here pretty soon, doesn't it? That Gabriel had the privilege of announcing. You're going to have a son. You're going to call his name John. Not Zacharias. Although that would be the traditional name to call him. John. The word John. John means, I don't know if we have any Johns in here. Yahweh is gracious. Amen? God is gracious. That's what the word John means. And God was saying, Zacharias, I'm about to be gracious to you. I'm about to, even though you're well-stricken in years and your wife is old and well-stricken in years, you are about to have a son. You are about to. Can you imagine the excitement as a dad? Woo! You know? They've been waiting on this for, for decades, and they never thought it probably would come now that they're old and well-stricken in years. I, I can imagine the excitement that he must have had. You know, some of you are, we're, one of the popular things today is gender reveals, isn't it? Now, we're excited whenever we hear that we're going to have a baby. I'm, I'm assuming that mom's dad, that, that is a point of, of excitement for us all. And enthusiasm, man, you just want to shout, and it's just great news and everything. But then they have, you know, all different kinds of gender reveals do all these things in different ways. Uh, they have some, you know, they, they fill the balloon with a certain color of powder or whatever, and you pop the balloon, and poof, it's pink or it's blue or whatever. And, and uh, sometimes, you know, you open up a box, and all of a sudden, poof, you know, streamers or dust or whatever comes out, whether it's pink or blue. Or, or uh, I heard about uh, this one family that they had a plane, an actual plane fly overhead, and they had, and I don't know if it was pink or blue, water. It was a water plane, and at the, whatever particular time, they flew over the, this people's property, and they just dropped all the water, and it was, I don't know, pink or blue water, whichever one it was. Maybe it was both. Maybe it was twins. I don't know. But nonetheless, either way, you know, these different gender reveals that, that, that they do. I watched one the other day, and it was because it was on YouTube, one of those funny things, you know, and, the, and maybe you saw this where a guy, he was trying to pop this huge elastic ball or balloon or something, and it wouldn't pop, and it was a little bit windy that day. So whenever he tried to pop it once, twice, three, and it just could, wouldn't happen, all of a sudden the wind kind of caught that ball and blew it across the backyard, and it hit the edge of the fence and went up over the fence. And of course, everybody's panicking, oh, you know, and of course they got all this on videotape, right? And they're recording the whole thing, and then the dad, being Superman that he is, he tries to jump the fence to go get the balloon, and it was an epic fail. Poor dad just didn't make it over the fence, and the thing blew away. And anyway, but nonetheless, gender reveal right here. Zacharias, you're not just going to have a baby. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a very special son. You're going to have a son, and the Holy Spirit's going to fill him from the time that he is in his mother's womb. So that's the first action that I see here. There's a revelation 
of Gabriel. Secondly, there's the response of Zacharias. We already saw in verse 12 that he's, he's troubled and fear gripped him. Some of your translations would say that fear gripped him. He was visibly shaken, visibly terrified. But his response in verse number 18, right? Look at verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. He didn't dare say his wife was old, amen? He, he kind of, it was politically correct in how he described that well advanced in years. But either way, they're old and well advanced in years. But his response here, how shall I know this, is a response of really doubt, skepticism. He didn't respond with, woo! He responded with, right. Sure. How can this be? Are you kidding me? There was doubt there. There was skepticism because of, of he knew how old that they were. They knew how long they had been praying. Almost to the point where they, they needed proof. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 12 of how uh, God, uh, remember, if you remember in Acts chapter 12, this is during the time of the persecution of the church and, and uh, Peter is captured. James uh, has his head lopped off and, uh, for the gospel. They're at the beginning of Acts chapter 12. They capture Peter and they throw him in prison. And if you remember the story, they are at John Mark's house. All the people that didn't get captured, they're at John Mark's house and they're praying. What are they praying for? For Peter to get released, right? They're praying for Peter to get out of jail. So God do something. God step in. God release him. God uh, make a miracle take place here. Go, oh God, we pray for Peter. We pray he wouldn't die. We pray, God, that you give him strength. We pray. And then all of a sudden, while they're praying, an angel shows up right there in the cell with Peter. Remember that? He shows up and basically says, wake up, come with me. We're get out of here. We're gone, man. We're gone. We're out of here. So they get out and they get past the guards. How? Because it's God involved. How do they get through the prison? God's involved. How do they get through the bars and all of a sudden God's involved? How do they get out without anybody noticing God's involved? And they get outside, and as soon as they get outside, the angel disappears, poof, gone. All right? And then Peter, he goes to John Mark's house. He knows that that's probably where the people are, and they're praying. And they're still praying, oh, God, deliver Peter. Oh, God, do something. Oh, God, step in and create a miracle. God, do something. We pray, God, from the Lord of heaven. And they're just praying and praying and praying. And what is Peter doing? He's outside. Hey, hey, I'm here. It's me. And they're in there praying, asking God to do something. Hey, finally, one of the servant girls, her name was Rhoda. She goes to the door and she goes to the door and Peter's knocking on the gate that's outside the door. And she doesn't even open the door. She knows who it is. She recognized that voice. She recognizes that, you know how Peter just had that fortitude about him, the way he spoke and everything? She knew that it was Peter. So she doesn't even answer the door, even though Peter's out there knocking and slamming and, hey, it's me, let me in, let me in. And then she goes back and she tells everybody, you guys aren't going to believe this, that noise we hear outside, I'm telling you, listen, it's Peter. He's out of jail. It's him. And what did they say to her? You're out of your mind. You are crazy. You are beside yourself. You have seen a ghost or you have seen an angel, but you haven't seen Peter. In the meantime, guess who's still standing outside yelling? Hey! Hey, let me in! Hey! And eventually they get up and they open the door and, of course, it's the apostle Peter. This is Zacharias. No. You know, I've been praying all these years for a son. I'm going to have, no, come on, really? Come on, can you give me some proof? 
Come on, let me it, 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 prove to me. Do, do a sign. Do you know, he doubts. He's a skeptic. By the way, do you ever doubt God? Talk to me. Do you ever doubt God? We do all the time. Oh, God, where is this going to come from? Oh, God, how are we going to get that done? Oh, God, I got this, I got that, I got the other. And, Lord, that's not a cure for any of it. Oh, God. Oh. And I do it, too. We all do it. Because we're human. But nonetheless, his response to the angel was not good. What he should have said was, all right, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm your man. But he didn't. He doubted. And that was his answer to Gabriel. Because he doubted, that led to rebuke. And that's action number three. There's a rebuke by Gabriel. I love this right here. Verse number 19. Listen to the rebuke. I love this. Zacharias told him, how shall I know this? Verse number 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Are you kidding me right now? I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Are you kidding me right now? In fact, the Greek structure of this phrase gives great emphasis to I am Gabriel. Are you kidding me right now? You're going to question me? I just showed up out of thin air. I'm telling you what's going on. You could tell I scared you to death when I showed up. You know I'm from the, 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 the uh, quarters of heaven. You know I'm from the very throne room of God. And you're going to, how could these things be? How is this going to take place? Wait a minute, you're going to, and he rebukes him. I'm reminded of that great, great scene in one of my favorite cinematic classics of all time, The Incredibles. Honey, where's my super suit? Y'all remember that? Where is my super suit? I put it away. Tell me where you put it. Oh, I put it away. Why do you need it? The public's in danger. My evening is in danger. Tell me where my super suit is, woman. Remember that? I'm thinking about the greater good. And then what does she say? Every man in the universe does not want to hear this next statement. What does she say? I am your wife. I am the greatest good you will ever have. Remember that? And every man on the planet would have the same reaction that Frozone had. What was that reaction? <sighs> she pulled the wife card, right? She pulled the wife card. What does Gabriel do? Gabriel pulls the God card. Look, what, look at it again. Get, 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 a, get a feel for this. Look at it. Verse number 19. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. You're going to question me? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Holy One constantly. I have been sent on a mission. I have been given a message and here I am. And you're going to doubt me? Rebuke. He rebukes Zacharias. But there's a fourth action here. There are repercussions. There are repercussions. He has rebuked, been rebuked by Gabriel because of his response. And look at the repercussions. Look at verse number 20. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. 
But I want you to underline the next phrase. Why? Why did he, why was he pronounced mute and unable to speak? Why? What does it say? You didn't believe. I mean, you had faith, but that was a weak faith. You didn't believe. You didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. By the way, that's important to remember because whenever the priest would go into the temple and do the priestly duties, they usually worked. They didn't waste time because they didn't want to be seen as being lackadaisical or apathetic in the temple as a priest of God. Because if they were, what did God have all the right and authority to do? Kill you on the spot. So when a priest went in there, they were so aware of, the, of that being the place where holiness is. He wasn't obviously in the holy of holies, but he was in the holy place, which is where the altar of incense was. And he knew, man, I'm in the presence of God. I better get it done. I better get it done right. I better get it done quick. And I better get it done right the first time. We're talking about God here, you know. So whenever he lingered, the people are going, oh, no. Did something happen? Did God take his life? Because he's been in there way too long. Remember when the people of God were waiting on Moses to come down from the mountain? They thought God had taken him out. That's what happened. That's what they thought. And that's what's happening here. And they were, priests were very aware that they knew, man, when you go into the temple, you better be right with God. Because if you're not, he could strike you dead on the spot, you know. And so when he lingered, the people were very concerned, verse 22. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. There were repercussions to his unbelief. We look at this, the obvious one is that he could not talk. He couldn't com communicate verbally. But it wasn't just that. He could not communicate verbally for nine months. The amount of time that it took for that baby to to form and to shape in the mother's womb and to be born. And even after that, if you read later in the chapter, he still couldn't speak until after they took the child to the temple eight days later when the child was eight days, uh, year, uh, day, eight days old so that the child could be uh, dedicated to the Lord and circumcised. So it wasn't just till he was born. It was even after that as a dad. Man, that's tough. Dads, put yourself in that position. Would you not want to talk about that newborn son, the one you've been praying for for decades? Would you not want to communicate with everybody and praise God? And, and absolutely we would. But this is some of the repercussions that he's having, to, he's having to put up with, not to mention the people had to wait on him. People were depending on him. And he was, in a sense, letting them down by not being able to, to come out right away because of how this uh, is all going down. Think about this. If he was able to speak, he would have been able to tell the people what happened and what do you think what would have happened with that, with that message? It would have spread like wildfire, wouldn't it? And eventually gotten back to his wife. In this story, that's not the case. In fact, in this story, when did Elizabeth find out? Not till he got home. Which I realize is all part of God's plan. But nonetheless, this is part of the repercussions of his unbelief, of his sins. Could not speak when his son, his only son, the, the one that God prophesied, that Malachi prophesied was born. I mean, when his, his son is born, and I'm sure he's right there, when the son is born and he wants to go, yeah, but he can't. He just, <laughs> you know, he can't speak. He can't do anything. He didn't believe. 
have to ask the question, how often do we not experience God's full blessing? Because we don't believe. It wasn't that Zacharias was a wicked man. No, he was a man of God. But just like the rest of us, he has moments where his faith is weak. And he didn't believe in God's promise. By the way, he would have known about God's promise because in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 1 and in Malachi chapter five, or 4 and verses 5 and 6, it prophesies this child's going to be coming. And the angel tells him what this child is going to be like. In fact, not only does he tell him what it's going to be like, he even quotes Malachi. And yet, there was the disbelief. There were repercussions to that. Fifth action is this. There was the reward for Elizabeth, verse 24. The reward for Elizabeth. There were repercussions, yes, but there was also a rewarding. Verse 24, now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Her reward. She becomes pregnant, and her disgrace is taken away from her. She finally has a son. Now, why would it say that? Why would it say that her disgrace? Now, remember, a Jewish woman, a, man, a husband and wife, if they didn't have children, that was considered a disgrace to them. That was considered, if, if you did not have a child, especially since they're well-stricken in years, people thought that the judgment of God was on you. So what, what right do you think being our priest, if God's judgment is on you, you have no business being our priest. But nonetheless, he was. It's kind of like whenever Job went through his uh, uh, ordeal and, and lost family members and lost everything he had. And everybody thought, what was the pro problem? Job, you're living in sin, right? That's what everybody thought. But God knew differently and Job knew differently. It wasn't that he was living in sin. It was that this was God's plan all along. And once that child was announced and once that child was born, all of a sudden, that disgrace is taken away. That weight is lifted. All of a sudden, the people are going, oh, oh, God has been working in your life, just not on our timetable. And part of that reward is not just going to be, well, you're going to have a child. No, far, farther than that. You're going to have a son. Now we have an heir, but he's not just going to be a son. He's going to be a forerunner and pave the way for the coming Messiah. People would no longer look down on her. That's part of the reward. People would realize that this was all part of God's plan. That's part of the reward. And that the curse became the greatest blessing imaginable. You know, I don't know what you're going through here today. I don't know what your status is. I don't know if it's physical, emotional, medical. Uh, I don't know if it's financial. I don't know what it is. But understand this. God has an end to it that will bring glory to himself. If we'll follow him, if we'll long for him. Luke is clear here. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but Luke is clear to make the statement that she didn't come, become pregnant until after he had finished what he was supposed to be doing at the temple. All this, the, the whole ordeal in the temple, that was all part of God's master plan as he's working and, 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 and moving in people's lives as well as Zacharias, even if he is stricken in years. So what happens? Elizabeth puts herself in seclusion. Why? Because if she had come right out and said, oh, God said we're going to have a child, everybody would have said exactly what Zechariah said. Yeah, right. So what does she do? She puts herself in uh, uh, secrecy for five months, and by five months, what's about to happen? 
she starts to show. Now when she comes out and she says, we're going to have a baby, everybody's going to go, okay, wow, look what God did. And it brings glory to glory. This is a marvelous story because this paves the way for Jesus to go to the cross. Are you with me on that? There was a forerunner that had to come first. And it just so happened it was the Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary. So I guess that meant Jesus and John were second cousins or so, however that all works. Isn't that kind of cool? No, and, you know, and you know something? As second cousins, they would have grown up together. Because families there, I mean, you had, your family stayed together. It wasn't like, I got family right now in Montgomery, Alabama. I got family in Huntsville. I got family in Panama City. I got family in Texas. I got family in California. We're all over the place. That was not the case back then. They were all together. So Jesus and John would have grown up together. They would have hung out together. They would have played together. Their families would have eaten together and worshipped together. What a great reward for Elizabeth and for Zacharias. And as we look at this passage, as we conclude here this morning, what is God trying to teach us? What, what's he saying through this episode as it leads up to the birth of the Messiah, the Christ child? What is God trying to tell us? Let me give you four things real quick. Number one, God is still in the business of working miracles today. Would you agree with me on that? God is still in the business of working miracles today. Now, we often look at miracles and we think, well, that's, these, these miracles are things that I want. No, no, actually, miracles are not necessarily things that we want. They're things that we need. And God knows what we need. He knows our needs. And the need here was, there's a forerunner coming, i.e., in the book of Malachi, and that, that has to happen. But I don't know what, you know, you, you may be sitting here today, you may not need a miracle, and that's okay. But maybe you do need a miracle. Maybe you need a financial miracle. Maybe you need a physical miracle. Physical miracle. Atticus. The tumor, right? He's only got a 10% chance to come out of this surgery. God looks at 10% and says, I'm 100. I got this. Miracles. How, how often do we see and hear about situations where, where God chooses to heal and the doctors are going, ah, you know? God still does these things today. Oh, what about the miracles that you don't see? The things that could happen in our lives when we're driving down the road or while we're at the store, you know? You, you, we never know. The things, the miracles that take place that we never see. But God is still in the miracle working business today. By the way, the greatest miracle whatsoever, the greatest miracle of all time is when a person comes to faith in Christ. And as I speak this very moment, I can say with pretty much certainty every second of every day, somebody's coming to King Jesus. Amen? God's still in the miracle working business today. I don't know what, you may need a miracle. You may not, but if you do, Continue to call out to him. Trust him. Believe him that God is going to. He, he may not answer it exactly the way you want to. He may not answer it tomorrow because you need it tomorrow. You think you need it tomorrow, but God says, oh, no, you need it down here. They think they needed a child back when they were in their 20s and 30s. And then God says, oh, no, you need to wait till you're 70 and 80, 90 years old. Then I'll take care of you. This thing's coming around. You'll be all right, you know. But God is still in the business of working miracles today. Number two, God is able to use us. Oh, thank God for this. God is able to use us despite our shortcomings. Are you thankful for that? We got shortcomings, amen? We're sinful people. 
And sometimes we tend to, to focus on our, our shortcomings. Sometimes we tend to, to focus on the, the areas where we're weak or we have a lack of faith. But understand this, God is still able to work through you. Listen, your works will never be perfect. Your attitude will never be perfect. Your decisions, your demeanor, your motives, they're never going to be perfect and pure until we get to heaven. The way that we do things. But God's not looking for perfection. God's looking for obedience. God's looking for faithfulness. That's where we lack. Obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. Zacharias was obedient and faithful to God. Amen? And boy, when he got called to burn the incense in the temple, that was whew, that was one of those moments. He was excited about that because out of the tens of thousands of, of, of uh, 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 priests, he got called to do that? Man, the chances of that happening in a priest's lifetime were, were zero. But God knew what he was doing, as we spoke of last week. God's able to use us despite our shortcomings. By the way, you know, I hear people say this often, especially with young people, but sometimes with adults. Oh, I can't do that. Wrong answer. What does God say? With God, all things are possible. So if you say, well, I can't do that, well, then what are you telling God? Yeah. You're telling God, you can't do this in my life. I can't do this. You can't empower me enough. You can't fill me enough. You can't teach me enough. You can't. No, 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 no. So you're limiting God. Be careful, Zacharias. Be careful. Don't limit God. Number three, this is a very important one for all of us to understand. God wants us to pave the way for the Lord. God wants us to pave the way for the Lord. You all read the story of John the Baptist? He was a pretty unusual guy, wasn't he? Whew, man. Camel hair. Eat locusts and wild honey. I can get into the wild honey. I can get into the, the honey. That, that sounds good. Camel hair, not so sure about. Never worn it. I felt it. Don't want to wear it. Eating locusts, too crunchy for me, amen? I don't know about for you too. Preaching out the wilderness and people coming to him from everywhere. And what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was constantly paving the way. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's coming. I'm telling you, repent. It's coming. He's coming. I'm, I'm telling you, he's, I'm, he's paving the way. I'm telling you, this guy's coming. I know who he is. I'm telling you, you need, to, you need to repent. You need to get ready. Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right there, that's him. He's coming down the hill right now, everyone. Look, don't look at me anymore. I've got to decrease. He's got to increase. Remember that? What was he doing? He's paving the way for people to be saved. Church, that is one of our top priorities, amen? Paving the way for the gospel to move forward so that people will accept Christ. What does that mean? It means engaging people. It means doing for them to let them see and hear of your Christian love. Just got through talking to a guy this morning. Uh, came over at 7.15 to fix one of my sprinkler heads. His name is Marcos. By the way, I've got his card. He does uh, irrigation. I'm just telling you, I told him about our situation, soccer field irrigation, just throwing that out there. And before he left, I gave him my card. And I said, you need to come see us, you know. And I've dealt with him before, and he knows I'm a pastor. He knows, he knows our church. He's, he's seen us before. Pave the way 
Little moments like that paved the way, paved the way. And as John paved the way, eventually he comes to the point where he says, Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God. You have that opportunity to introduce Jesus to that individual. God wants us to pave the way for Christ. And lastly, when we're doing God's work, he shows up. What was Zacharias doing? Man, he was in the temple doing what he was supposed to be doing. Even though he was old, even though he was looked down upon, even though he was possibly thought sinful, even though he was spoken ill of, even though their family uh, may have seemed to have a curse or judgment on it because they had no children, he was still faithful. God is a big advocate of taking advantage of opportunities to worship and to fellowship and to serve and to sit, listen, learn, to come together as a church family. When God puts opportunity in his path, he took advantage of it. So should we take advantage of it with the right heart and right motivation. He'll show up. He'll do things. He'll work. He'll save. He'll grow. He'll, he'll cause us to become more like Christ. He'll grow us together into that close-knit family that every church should be. Zacharias responded to the Lord. Yes, he doubted, and it cost him, but he still served God anyway, even though it cost him. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. My prayer is that we as a church would serve and respond, as Zacharias did, not necessarily, obviously, with doubt, but with total commitment and faithfulness to the Lord and pave that path like his son did for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Lord, I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for his example. Lord, he doubted, but Lord, we doubt all the time. We wonder what you're going to do, what you're doing, how are you going to get it done. And sometimes, Lord, oftentimes we may be, even forget about you. That's the ultimate doubt, is when we totally dismiss you. Lord, I pray that our Christian lives will not become a part of the mundane, of the average, of the, well, it's just the thing to do. But Lord, we'd be excited about loving you, serving you, paving the path for people to know Jesus. If you're here this morning, you may not know Christ as your Savior. You may not know for sure that you're going to heaven. I've got great news for you. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He is life. And you can't go to the Father except through him. I didn't say that. The, 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 the Lord of the universe, Jesus himself, said that. Would you believe upon him today? Would you give him your life today? Would you confess your sins and come to him today in salvation, in repentance, and give your life over to him? Would you cry out to him right now? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't get to heaven. I realize that I need you. God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. God, as best as I know how, I want to right now just give my life over to you and ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Save me. I give you my life right now. I want to follow you. Would you call out to him this morning? Believers, we all have our struggles. But I hope this morning that you're encouraged because there was a man of God by the name of Zacharias who struggled with some of the same things that we do. We serve in 
And sometimes we doubt. And sometimes we have to experience God's discipline. But we continue to serve anyway. My prayer is that you'll be strengthened in that service. You'll be strengthened in your walk. And understand that God has great things that he has planned for you. ways are not his ways. Your thoughts are not his thoughts. But boy, his ways and thoughts are far beyond whatever you could imagine or dream if we'd simply submit to it. God bless this invitation time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.